Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. I'm thinking about preaching a message called Taking God Serious. Because I think, you know, I've been in church a long time. And, you know, one of the things that can happen when you go to church is you can get uh, caught up in the buzzwords, as it were. You know, praise the Lord, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. You know, those are the common ones. You know, when somebody says, how you doing? You go, oh, it's a bloody war, but my side's winning. You know, just stuff like that. You know, and, and we say things from the pulpit, but I don't think we often understand how powerful the words that we speak really are. And I don't think that we completely understand uh, what God has done in us and how powerful we are. Can you say amen? We are the children of God. Can you say amen? amen? We are the redeemed of the Lord. Amen. We, we, we are the ambassadors of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. God could not elevate us or promote us any higher in the kingdom of God without violating the Godhead. He would have to split apart the Trinity to elevate us any higher. We sit with Him right now, the Bible says, on the throne. We're seated with Him in heavenly places. And so as Christians, that's significant. Can you say amen? I mean, that, that, that means something to us today. And I think sometimes what happens is we get caught up in saying things, the, you know, all the Christian ease and all of that, and we don't understand exactly how powerful all that stuff really is. Because God really is doing something, amen? We, we're probably living in the last days as we see it. I know many generations have said that before. But we are seeing things culminating at a faster rate than ever before. And you know what? We are living in a time where people don't have answers. They don't know what to do. And here pretty quick, they're going to start looking to you and I. They're going to start looking to the church for an answer. Can you say amen? And they're going to start looking to God. And things are going to begin to take off. And God's going to do something powerful. I hope and pray that we're ready for that. I've been praying for revival and I, every now and then, God kind of interrupts my prayer, and He says, John, do you really know what you're praying for? I said, of course, I'm praying for revival. He goes, are you able to drink this cup? Yeah, not a problem. He goes, okay, because you're going to drink it. And sometimes I don't know if I understand everything I need to know there. I was reading the other day. This is all free, by the way. I was reading the other day. Part of it is because is I'm trying to get my iPad to work. How do you like my stalling? So the other, the other day I was uh, reading and uh, where uh, James and John came to Jesus. Actually, they got their mother to do it and uh, said, we want, we want to sit on your right hand and your left hand. And Jesus says, you, you don't really know what you're asking. And he goes, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. He goes, well, are you able to drink the cup that I'm drinking? Oh, not a problem. Good, because you're going to drink it. But those spots are reserved for who my Father has prepared. And I was thinking, you know, that's so like Christianity. We, be careful what you pray for, because you just might get it. And so I'm looking for revival, and I'm believing God 
that God will help us, that he'll encourage us. Most of all, that he will add to our number. But let me tell you something. When revival hits, it will be messy. It will upset your favorite spot. People will probably sit in your favorite spot. Amen. I remember hearing a guy preach one time. He told this story. He says he was uh, in his church. This was a church. His church ran probably between five and 600 people in England. And he said, you know, back in the day, that was a mega church in England. If you had 500 people in England, you were doing really well. And so he was looking in the church, and one day they were having a big fellowship, and everybody was off into the other room, and, and he came into the sanctuary, and he noticed in the sanctuary all the women had left their purses and their, you know, just their belongings and cell phones and, you know, iPads and all of that. And he thought, you know what, this is not, this is too safe. People just leave their stuff like it's not going to be touched. He goes, we need a dangerous church. He says, we need a church where you need to carry your purse or it might get stolen. And I know you're thinking, oh, dear God, what are you saying? He says, because you know what? When people come in and they're getting saved, they're still a little raw. There's, still a, there's stuff that still lingers with those folks. And, and it's like, you know what? That's revival. Think about it. When Jesus came on the scene, you, you remember when he calls Matthew the tax collector? He, you know, he says, come follow me. And Matthew says, not a problem. Let's go to my house and have lunch. And Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. That's what upset the religious world, didn't it? They were upset. Like, Don't you know who these people are? You, you claim to be the son of God, but do you know who you're hanging out with? Jesus said, you know, it's, it's not the healthy I came for, it's the sick. Yeah. He goes, I know exactly who I'm hanging out with. Jesus was dangerous, amen? He hung out with people that were unsavory. He hung out with people that it's like, you, you better hold, you ought to move your wallet to your front pocket. You know what I'm saying? You know, or maybe, maybe or just don't carry a wallet. Like, because those folks were still a little bit rough, but see, those are the people that Jesus wants to heal. Those, those are the people Jesus wants to set free. Those were the people we once were. But now we're clean, aren't we? Amen. We're clean, we're coiffed, and we, we got our traditions, and we got our three-piece suit. Well, it's not three-piece, but I only wear a suit once a year. And I know every time I told the 830 service, I said, man, this is so restricting. This is like a leash. I mean, it's, it's, I, I, can't, I can't move, I, my, I, my, can't, my mic don't fit, I, I feel every part of my clothing, I've got all this stuff on, and it's like, oh my gosh! I told, I, and somebody yelled out, take it off! I said, no, don't! We can't, we can't have none of that here. That, that's, that's, that's not revival, let me tell you. That's not revival. We'd, we need to keep some things secret, you know what I'm saying? Next week, I'll be normal and free and, and happy, but my iPad's still not working yet. Hang on, I'm, 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 I'm trying to figure this out, so I'm not sure. Let me, hang on, let me just do this here. Just, well, last, yeah, winging it, don't, uh, hang on, guys. Kathy, it's time for a new iPad. Ooh, I'm getting a new iPad. Okay, we're going to go with this. 
Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll get to that in a moment. You know, this is a great day, isn't it? This really is a great day. We're living in a day that we, this is a day that we celebrate because of what Jesus did. And this is what I want to do today is I want to remind you of the glory of God. I want to remind you of what Jesus actually did for us so that we can truly celebrate. Look, look, there's a lot of people that will look at this day as being a religious moment, but this has nothing to do with religion. This has everything to do with the heart of God who loves his people. This has everything to do with a father in heaven that looked down on earth and had great compassion and said, I love them and I will give myself for them so that they can know me. Can you say amen? This is a day that we celebrate, but it's also a day that we remember. It's a day that we spend time contemplating exactly what Jesus did for us. I think it should be every day that we do that. I don't think we should reserve this for just this day, that we make it about a day. I think we should make it about a relationship. Can you say amen? That every day we spend time meditating on His goodness and His grace and His glory in our lives. Because truly what Jesus accomplished in our lives is nothing short of miraculous. He found us. He cleaned us. He saved us. He restored us. He renewed us. He gave us life again. Can you say amen? amen? So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. The Bible says these words, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received on, uh, which you re- which you received on which you take your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I have received I passed on to you uh, as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Jesus' death His burial, His resurrection was all a part of the plan of God. It was all a part of our redemption. And here is the amazing thing about all that we're talking about. Jesus volunteered for it. I want you to think about this for a moment. When we talk about the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is something that Jesus chose to do. That's significant. You need to get that into your thinking, that this was not some sort of mandate from heaven or this was some demand of humanity. This was not some sort of thing that was contrived or manipulated, but this was a choice that Jesus made. I am certain there could have been other things that he would do. It would not have been good for us, but you know what? He could have done other things. But Jesus chose to pay a price. Jesus chose to lay down his life for ours. Can you say amen? In John 10, 18, it says this, Jesus speaking, he says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. See, the the enemy thought they were winning. The religious people of the day thought they were overcoming But the reality is they were simply pawns in a bigger play. They were actors in a bigger play. They were accomplishing literally the will of God because Jesus came to die. He came to lay his life down so that we could find our lives. Can you say amen? There's a name for this. It's called love. It's called love. 
The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to think about this because when you were out still sinning, when you were out not thinking about God, when you were out completely disinterested in anything that had anything to do with God, Jesus Christ was hanging on a cross dying for you. He was paying a price for your life. He was paying a price so that you could know him. He was paying the price that you owed. He deserved honor. You deserved death. He got death and you got honored. That's the thing that is so amazing about what Jesus accomplished. Consider this, the greatest suffering in the service of the greatest love for, were, was for those that were the least deserving. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So how did he do that? How is it that he accomplished that? How could Jesus endure the cross for such sinners like you and I? How could Jesus pay that price? How could the holy, perfect, living God, give up his place in heaven, come walk as a man on the planet, give up his life, be tortured, be humiliated, be mocked so that you and I could have a chance to know him. How could he do that? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Listen to it again. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, church, he did it for you. You were his joy. You were his joy. You were the joy that held him on the cross. You, your life, your redemption, your salvation is why Jesus stayed on that cross. Can you say amen? You know what? Here's the thing. It's one thing to think in our lives that, that God is our reward. That we get in the exchange, we get God. That's one thing. That alone is amazing. That we get all that God is, all that he will ever be, all that the kingdom of God is, everything from eternity to eternity to eternity, everlasting, we get that in the exchange. But what's more amazing is he, we are his reward. Think about that for a moment. He is our reward. We are his. I think he got the short end of the stick. I don't know that it was a good exchange, but somewhere it was really good for us, but that was the joy that held him to the cross. When he took that beating, when he took that humiliation, when he was drugged through the city, when he had to carry his own cross, they hung him naked, beating, beaten and bleeding before heaven and earth. Jesus did it because of you. He said, one day I'll know them. One day, I will walk with them. One day, they will know me. That's why Jesus did it. The humiliation of being stripped and ridiculed, the lacerations of his scourging, the unbearable lightning bolts of pain that traveled through his body hour after hour, while any moment he could have called upon his father. He could have called upon legions of angels to come down and rescue him, but he did not because of the joy that was set before him. Because of you, I could guarantee you, church, he had your name and your face in his mind and in his heart when he hung on that cross. He is God. He, God, hung between heaven and earth 
Are you hearing me? And he was thinking about you. It's not just that he loved the world, but that he loved you. Can you say amen? When Adam gave over to Satan in the beginning by disobedience, when Adam gave up the authority and the dominion that God had given to him, when, when, when he had surrendered all that God had given him to the, to the enemy, Jesus bought it all back and he gives it back to you and I. This is an amazing blessing. I want you to think about this for a moment. Have you ever had a child spill something in your house? You know, a little four-year-old, they, they want to carry their cup to the table. They got a glass full of milk or maybe they have a glass full of juice and they want to carry it. They want to be the big boy or the big girl, but somehow in the, on the way they trip and they spill and everything goes everywhere. So what you do is you clean up the mess, you get another cup of milk or juice or whatever it is. You say, this time mommy or, or daddy's going to take it for you. Why? Because I can't trust your little four-year-old. I can't trust that you won't trip again. But God doesn't do that. Man sold the farm. He gave up dominion. He gave up power and authority. He gave up relationship with God. God walked with him in the cool of the day. And he sold out to sin. But then Jesus comes on the scene, and through his death and resurrection, Jesus purchases it back. He gets it all back, and you know what he does? He then turns around and gives it right back to us. He says, go try it again. Go do it again. I remember hearing years ago a story of Thomas Edison who invented the light bulb. A thousand times he tried to make and perfect the light bulb. 999 times he failed. Somebody asked him and said, you know, Mr. Edison, when are you going to give up and what have you really learned? He goes, I'm not giving up. He says, because I've learned 999 ways not to do it and that is good for me. Then on that 1,000th time, he perfected the light bulb. He gave it to his assistant, told him to walk upstairs from his laboratory and put it into a box so they could keep it safe. And lo and behold, as he was walking up the stairs, the assistant drops the light bulb and breaks the very first one that was perfected. Yeah, that's it. We go, oh, dear God. You know what Edison did? He says, come on down, let's make another one. We know how to do it now. And I'm going to tell you right now what Jesus did on that cross. It says, let's do it again. Let's do this again. I have a plan, and I haven't given up on it. I've had a, I got a plan to have a family, and you are my children, and I'm going to get you back. I'm going to redeem you, and I'm going to restore you, and I'm going to make a way for you. Can you say amen? amen. See, when Jesus rose from the dead after being crucified... A voice echoed throughout the universe, it is finished. Jesus left hell in shambles, totally and completely devastated. Satan was defeated, conquered under the feet of Jesus. He drug him out and exposed him. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says this, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He triumphed over the devil. He beat him. And now what he does is he gives you and I power and authority to beat him back. He says, now you're going to overcome. I read something. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said these words. He says, what God does is he shows us how to over our, overcome our enemy through love. That's an amazing thought to me. That through love, 
which is one of the most powerful things in all of creation, that we can overcome the enemy. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Love is what held him on that cross. Love is what took him to that cross. Love is what made him submit his love for you and I, that he loved us so much. You know what blows my mind is I talk to Christians all the time that come to me and they tell me, you know what, I think God's mad at me, or I, I don't think God likes me, or, or, or you know what, I've blown it and I know God's going to reject me. I want you to listen to me, church. That is such a lie from the pit of hell. How is it? How is it that when we were wretched sinners, when we were filled with sin, didn't even care, we weren't even ashamed or embarrassed by our own sin, we were filthy, stinking, rotting people. And in that moment, Jesus so loved us that he demonstrates his love by dying for us. How is it in that moment when we were horribly lost in our sin, that God loves us. But now that we get saved, somehow God is mad at us. We make a mistake. We trip up. We say something we shouldn't. We do something or look here or look there. I'm not saying that it's right. If you're sinning, stop it. But listen to me, church. God loves us. And that's the point of the cross. The point of the cross and the resurrection is that the Father in heaven looked down on his children. They were lost and wretched without hope. And he sent his son, he bankrupt heaven to buy us back. Can you say amen? That's the point of the cross. That's what we're celebrating today. But the question is, here's the thing. How do we make this work in everyday life? See, it's really good theology when you get behind a pulpit and you start talking about it. It's really good theology. You go, you know, man, that's good doctrine. But when you have to go to Safeway, you are buying lettuce and tomatoes for a BLT at Safeway. How does the resurrection even affect you? See, the problem with Christianity is oftentimes we do not know how to embrace or apply that which was given to us. How is it when I'm at work on my job? You know, whatever my job is, whether I'm an office worker or a medical worker or, or a construction worker, whatever it is that you do, how is it that when you're on your job or maybe you go to school, how is it when you're in school? How is it when we go through this life daily? How do we apply and embrace this resurrection? Because I guarantee you this resurrection was not so that we would have a religious holiday. God didn't say up in heaven, hey, I'm going to do this awesome thing so that one time a year they can celebrate me. No, what God did is he said, I'm going to do this awesome thing so that every day they can walk in me. Every day they can know me. So how do we do that? Well, I want to give you just a few things. I want to give you a few things before we get to our communion today. The first one is that you understand you are forgiven. That you understand you're forgiven. And, and you know what? There's a lot of people here today that I think they struggle with this idea that they're forgiven. I know that they do because religion has taught something that is completely a lie. And I'm going to show you. Have you ever heard the saying, I'm a sinner saved by grace? Well, let me tell you something. While there is truth in it that there was a day I was a sinner and now I'm saved by grace, I can tell you that I am not a sinner Amen. anymore. I'm forgiven. 
Let me show you what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Oh, I know that there are people that will rise up and say, well, what about Romans 7 where Paul writes and he says, you know what, the things that I want to do I don't do and the things I don't want to do that I end up doing and I struggle and I find within me in my flesh that there is a a, a mystery at work called sin. You go, see, we're still sinners. No, that's your flesh. That's the old man. That's the old nature. You have been made brand new. In fact, the Bible says if you read in Romans chapter 6, it will tell you this, that you now have power to reckon yourselves dead to sin. In fact, if you are in Christ, you've been baptized into his birth. Therefore, the covenant that you had with sin has been broken, and now you have a new husband. You are now not under, you are now under grace. You are not under the law. Therefore, sin and its power has been broken in your life. You say, well, pastor, I still sin. I still blow it. You're right. That's because at that moment you chose to go back to an old identity that is not you, that is dead and buried, but you chose to go to the graveyard and dig that foul thing up and you allowed it to work in your life. But I submit to you, that is not what Jesus produced in you. When Jesus died on that cross, it says he saves to the uttermost. It means it's a complete work. It's done. It's finished. And when he cried out, it is finished, he meant it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It means the power of sin has been eliminated. Romans chapter two, verse, uh, or Romans chapter eight, verses two and four says, "For the law of the sin, or I'm sorry, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death." For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What is he saying? He said the law could not save you. All that the law could do was show you how much you needed a savior. The only thing that the law could do was show you how bad you are at keeping rules. He said, so Jesus came in the likeness of that sinful flesh and he overcame that law and he produced something else into our lives. See, there was a law that was at work in our lives and it was called the law of sin and death. But when Jesus came and died on the cross, he established a new law called the law of the spirit of life in Christ that makes me free from the law of sin and death. And then in Romans 6, 14, it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. What does that mean? That means when I'm walking through life and I am tempted, I have the power to say no. I have the power to say that's not who I am. I have the power to walk away. Before, I could not walk away. I could only do what came natural to me. Now I have a new nature I have been given uh, the divine nature. I have, I have Jesus and Holy Spirit living on the inside of me and I could cry out to them and say, this is not who I am for I have been forgiven and the power of sin 
has been eliminated. The, what it means is it means that the power of the consequences of sin have been removed. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Once I was dead, but now I'm alive. Are you hearing what I'm saying? No longer am I operating in that nature of death, but now I am living in the nature of him who loved me enough to die for me. It means everything has been changed. Listen, church, this will establish it for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man, you could put woman in there too, be in Christ... He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know what's so sad about that verse is over the years it's been, put that back up on the screen, it's been watered down. There have been people that have not been able to quite get a hold of it. And so what they've done is they've changed the wording. They say, for he made him who knew no sin to be a sacrifice for sin for us. While that is true, it's not what that says. I've looked at it. I've went back to the original Greek. It means what it means. He, knew, he who knew no sin became sin. I don't know what that means. I don't know the mystery of that in its depth. All I know is this, is that Jesus literally and completely took my spot. What I could not be, he is. So he became what I am so that I could be like him. And he changed me. I don't know the depths of that. I don't understand that. How can God, how can this man, this, this person that's fully man and fully God, how can he accomplish this? I don't know, but that's the mystery of Christ. What I do know is that he became what I was so that I could become what he is. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I know everybody's like, why is that right? Is that yeah, <clears throat> that's the power of this. That's the power of the resurrection. See, the problem is, is we have what's called religious-based performance. If I can be good enough, I might make it there. If I can, look at you're not good enough. You will never be good enough. You cannot perform well enough. Your performance does not cut it. That's what the law taught us. It's just like when my grandsons, they draw me pictures. They go, Grandpa, look at I drew a picture of you. Sometimes it's flattering. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes they draw a stick figure, and I go, whoa, I lost weight. Sometimes they draw a big circle with a little tiny head on it. But I'm going to tell you what, it is never artistic. My little three-year-old grandson, four-year-old grandson, they, they are not artists. They're three years old. They don't have the ability yet. But when I look at those pictures and they give them to me, I am so moved because of the heart and the love and the grace that I have for them. I go, you know what? That's awesome. I don't think that I've seen a picture better. Why? Because it was their picture. When God looks at you, 
He doesn't see the flaws. He doesn't come along and go, you wretched, stinking sinner. What he does is he comes to you and he sees the blood of Jesus applied to your life. And he says, oh, you're my son, you're my daughter. Come in, what a wonderful moment this is. I love you. See, church, we are still bogged down in this thing that I don't know if I can be good enough. I don't know if I can get it done. You can't, so quit. He got it done. He got it done, all the way done. Now what I can do is I can walk in him. He simplified it. He says, love me with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself, and you got it down. All of the law and the prophets are fulfilled in that. Here's what's an interesting thing. Do you remember the, the mountain of transfiguration? Do you remember Jesus? It was Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. So who are up there? Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. So far, pretty good theology, right? And then Jesus brought up some disciples to witness. And it's interesting because Peter, he was so flipped out over the thing. He looks at it and goes, hey, let me build you guys some booths. I don't even know where that comes from. You guys can hang out here. And then a voice from heaven said this. Now, this is what you got to think about. This is my son. Listen to him. Who is Moses? He's the guy that brought the law. Who is Elijah? He was a prophet. God said, listen to my son over the law and the prophets. That doesn't mean the law and the prophets are bad. They point to the son. That means everything that they are is a foreshadowing to this wonderful encounter with the Son of God. It's not that we ignore it or, dis, or that we, or God is downplaying. In fact, Jesus said not one jot or tittle will pass away. He goes, but I've come to fulfill it. So in him it's fulfilled. And when we bring in him, him into our lives, that becomes who we are. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, because he died and rose again, we have access to the Father. We now, because of that, we can come boldly before his throne. We can come boldly into the very presence of God and find help. We can find grace. We can find divine ability to help us in the time of need. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we've been made whole, we've been healed. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says these words, Surely he hath borne our griefs, our sickness and our disease, and he's carried our sorrow, our pain. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. We were healed. Through Christ we've been healed. In every way. Body soul, and spirit. Because of Jesus, we are victorious. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 and 39 says, Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What does that mean? That means if I show up to the race, I win. I told 830 service, there was a time when I was in sixth grade, I decided to go out for track. <clears throat> I know I don't look like a track star, do I? But I went out for track, and I was excited. And we had the day, we had the big uh, 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 field day, and there was like five or six other schools that came. And so the events, I signed up for the softball throw. 
I signed up for the long jump, and then I signed up for the relay race. You know, the relay race where they pass off the baton? I was number two in the lineup, so there was a first guy, then me, and then two others. And I was so excited. My mom came. My dad wasn't able to come. I didn't do very good in the softball throw. There was guys that could throw away further than I. I didn't even place. In the long jump, I, could, I, could bear, I, I just couldn't. I just didn't get anywhere. I did better when I tripped. <laughs> but the relay race, oh, man, it was wonderful. I took third place. Yeah. I took third place, man. I still have that ribbon. I have a box at home. It says John stuff. And in that box is my third place ribbon from the sixth grade. I came home and my dad was there and I was so excited. I said, Dad, look, I took third place. And my dad was like, really? He was encouraging. He said, really, you took third place? I said, yeah. Man, I, I ran and I took third place. He goes, that's awesome. I can't believe it. I'm so proud of you. I, I, man, he, he was so happy. He gave me a hug. <laughs> he says, how many teams were running? I said, three. <laughs> I took third in the three-man race. Yes, sir. It's my claim to fame. He said, what's the point? The point is, is when Jesus is in your life, you, you, you just sign up and you win. You don't even have to show up to the day. You become more than a conqueror. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we're safe and secure. John 16, in the Amplified, listen to this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident. Be certain. Undaunted. For I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of the power to harm you and have conquered it for you. Wow. That's because of the death and resurrection. I can stand in safety and I can hold back the powers that would come against me. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, I am full and overflowing. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine na nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What is he saying? He says, you've got everything you need. Everything to live godly and to live in this world. You are full. There is more than enough. When it seems like you're lacking, you are not. It is a temporary moment. It is just because it's in transit. I'm telling you, you have more than enough. And finally, and Jason can come if he would, we are never alone. Matthew 28, 20 says this Jesus is speaking and he give, he's giving them their, the, the instructions just before he goes into heaven. He says, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. He is with us always. Always. He never leaves us or forsakes us. So church, when we think about what does this resurrection, what does this resurrection Sunday mean to me when I am living my daily life? What does it mean when I go to Safeway or go to work or go to school or driving in traffic? What does it mean? 
It means I have everything God said I have. It means that God has made a way for me. Make no mistake. Make no mistake. Satan's defeat was sealed by the resurrection. But church, we have to enforce it. What does that mean? That means you've got to understand it. That means you've got to take it in. You've got to make it your own. You have to embrace it. You have to embrace it. Here in a mo few moments, we're going to take communion. And when we take this communion, what we're doing is we're remembering. Ushers, you can go and prepare to pass out the communion. What we're doing is we're saying, you know what, God, I remember what you did for me. I know what you've done. And I remember. You know, over the last few years of my life, communion has become so precious to me. My wife and I have made a commitment to take communion together every day. We do this as a worship is unto the Lord. And we pray you ushers can begin to pa pass out the, the uh, communion implements. And it's one of those things that I think that when we really come to understand what Jesus accomplished, and when we take time to really meditate <clears throat> on what he has done for us, it becomes one of those things that will revolutionize our lives. And I want to encourage you today to take time to consider. If you're new to our church, what we do is we have two cups. The first cup has the juice in it. The bottom cup has the bread. Just take both cups. We have found that this is the easiest way to, to deal with this. But I think communion over the years has become one of those things that Christians simply don't understand. They know that it's important. They know we need to do it. But do we understand it? That's one of the things that my journey has been is to pay attention. God, what did you accomplish? What? Because Jesus said it. And we're going to read it here in just a minute. He said, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. See, one of the things that God has wanted throughout the years is he's wanted us to not forget him. Human beings just were notorious for getting distracted and sidetracked. We're notorious for not remembering. But God says, I want to always be at the forefront of your thinking. I want you to always remember what I did for you because it will change your life. On the eve of his crucifixion, Jesus ate the Passover supper with his disciples. And as they were eating, Jesus takes the time to explain the significance of that moment. What I'd like to read to you out of Scripture is Paul's account of that moment out of 1 Corinthians 11, 23. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. 
In this one moment of time, Jesus encapsulates the entirety of salvation. Everything. Basically, what he's telling us is his broken body is payment for our healing. His spilled blood is the seal to the new covenant we enjoy. He tells us that our sins have been forgiven. We have fellowship with the Father, and we have a new identity in Him. And by this one incredible act of love, we who were lost, broken, and hopeless are now safe and secure. This is the moment. This is what we do. When we take communion at home, my wife and I spend time in prayer, and we talk to God. We remind Him and remind ourselves of what's going on. We meditate on that and we think about the intensity of it. So I took some time <coughs> for this service to just sit and meditate and think about it. And as you know, you've heard me preach on prayer before that I do a lot of writing and I, I write things out. I write them down, keeps me on track. It keeps me from going off on bunny trails. And so for this service, what I've done is I've taken some time to prepare our prayers, the thing that I wanted to pray. And I want you to pray with me, but I also, I want you to listen to the words that I pray today because they are deliberate and these come out of my meditations on communion. So as we begin to prepare to take the bread, which is the body of Christ, let's pray. Jesus, as we take communion today, we know that this bread is your body which was broken for us so that we may walk in divine healing, divine health, and divine life. So as we take this bread, we consider the broken body of Jesus and all that it has accomplished. Jesus, your broken body is payment for all of our healing, our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual healing. So we say to the spirit of infirmity, these are the words of God against you. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Therefore we forbid any sickness or disease to come upon our bodies. Every disease and every virus that touches our bodies will instantly die in Jesus' name. We declare every organ and every tissue of our bodies is functioning with the perfection of Christ. We declare there will be no malfunctions in our body in the name of Jesus. For by the stripes of Jesus, we declare life, health, and healing over New Life Church and everyone in it. We declare healings of all kinds and we release angels to pour out the golden oil of physical healing, emotional healing, mental healing, and spiritual healing. We declare healing to be a fundamental dynamic of our ministry at New Life Church. And by the stripes of Jesus, we declare everyone receiving this bread is healed in Jesus' name. So, according to your word, we receive this bread in remembrance of you. We know that your body was broken for our healing and we remember your physical sacrifice you made for us and we receive right now all that it provides for us in Jesus' name, amen. Take eat. Then on that night, 
after they had eaten, the Bible says, that Jesus took the cup and he explained to them what that was, that it was the new covenant in his blood. So this morning, we're going to take the cup here in just a moment as we pray. And I want you to listen and pray with me. As we take this communion, we know that this cup is the new covenant in your blood. Through your shed blood, all your promises are paid for. They are yes and amen. We remember your spiritual sacrifice on the cross. And as we receive this cup, we consider the blood of Jesus. And we make these declarations. We declare the blood of Jesus sets us free. It cleanses our hearts. It gives us access to Jesus. We declare the blood of Jesus is sufficient for every difficulty, every problem, and every calamity. We declare the blood of Jesus overcomes all the works of the enemy. And we declare the blood of Jesus saves us, redeems us, restores us, and gives us a hope and a future. So today we declare over our family, over our families, and over our church, everything that has been locked up and shut up by the enemy is loosed. We declare the days of wilderness and desert living are over. We declare we are coming out of every demonic prison constructed unjustly and illegally by the enemy. We declare every mental block and every mind-binding spirit and every spiritual and physical restriction is broken in Jesus' name. And we declare we are loosed from every oppression. And we say we are spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically free. And we declare we are loosed to live and breathe and operate in all the fullness and plan of God on every level designed for us in our church. We declare our season of fruitfulness begins now. And we declare all of this in Jesus' name. So according to your word, Father, we receive this cup in remembrance of you. It is a sign and seal that you have heard our prayer and you are moving in our behalf. And we receive right now all that this communion provides. And we thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Take the cup. I want to tell you and, and assure you this is not a religious moment. This is a significant moment of relationship. It is a significant moment of understanding and remembering what Jesus accomplished. It is something we should dedicate our lives to coming to understand more and more. It changes everything. Before we go, one last thing. I want to ask you to take the time to remember him. That every day that you would give him just a little bit. One thing about him is he's not greedy. But one thing about it, when you give him a little, you'll want to give him more. It becomes insatiable. You want more of him. And I challenge you that this day you draw a line in the sand and say, today I'm going to change everything. And I'm going to search for you, God, till I find you. And I'm going to come to know you. Amen. Praise God. Here in just a few minutes, they're going to have the Easter egg hunt over at the park, just right over here for all of the children. 
So let's stand to our feet. We're going to release you today. We love you. We appreciate you. You go today in the victory and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. God bless. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.